0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Data with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling Podcast. That's right. Getting Over is back once again. And boy, oh boy, do we have a show for you. The Silver King vintage Chris Benigni along for the ride to break down everything that happened this past week on Raw coming out of SummerSlam. And of course, some straggling content from SmackDown as well. But very much. A podcast that will center on what is a transitional time in the world of WWE. A transition that, spoiler alert, so far has been for the better. I think it is fair to say that Vintage and The Silver King are as juiced as we have maybe ever been to do a normal Tuesday WWE edition of our weekly podcast for you. So we are not going to waste any time off the jump. There is so much to talk about today. Let me remind you right away that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is all about defying. So please, folks, just stop making me ask at this point. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show why you love the show, why they should subscribe and download. We are coming off one of our biggest episodes of all time, the WWE SummerSlam Instant Analysis. I truly hope all of you listen to that before you listen to this show. And if you haven't, might I suggest pausing going back and listening to that first, and then joining us here to catch up on this show. But nevertheless, we're coming off a huge show. I know how many of you DM'd and tweeted us with your praise, and your thanks for that edition of the show, well, please send those same exact messages to Apple Podcast as the as a review uh, and let everyone know why you love us because those reviews help us so much in terms of growing our listenership and improving as a podcast. And we do read all five-star reviews right here on the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet live during all of the major shows. We post polls and we let you know Every single time there is a new episode live. Again, please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, I think you can tell the Silver King's pretty juiced going into today's show. We have so much to talk about that we actually, before we started the show, I was discussing with you, hey dude, uh, what should we actually include in the main event and what should we include or what should we discuss before the main event begins? Because there are so many different items I want to discuss and it's all from a position of positivity, New Day would be proud of us today. The Silver King, I hope you as well, Vintage. We are in really good moods, coming out of what was as different yet cohesive in addition of WWE Monday Night Raw, as I can remember over the last however many five or 10 years. That is how enthused I am. How are you feeling coming into today's show?
1: It's, it's a new era, yes it is. For, for for the listeners, Silver King texted me last night, all caps, pumped for tomorrow. I t- I, tweeted I never I both, never
0: texted you the night before the show.
1: We basically tweeted. We basically both tweeted. That we, this was maybe the expected to be the most positive episode we've ever done. And look, we'll get into it. This is what we. This is what we've always wanted out of WWE television, and it's nothing complicated. It's what you just said there. Cohesion. In a sense that people matter. This was the dream. This is the dream we've all had when Triple H became the booker or would become the booker at one point. This is what we always hoped that, hey, you're not going to have segments out there that don't mean anything or that are throwaways or story holes are not just going to be stopped for no reason or, or whatnot. This is like you, like you also say in your, your old podcast, Trips has the book. And it's, it's such a clean product. That was the first episode of Raw in forever. I could remember multiple storylines being told throughout the show. My brother's texting me about how much he's enjoying the show. Someone tweeted at me that, that, uh, they started watching once they heard triple H was in charge and they like what they see so far. So like, we're going to get into it here, but like incredibly positive feelings among WWE fans Coming off of one of the most transformational moments in the company, which is Vince McMahon retiring amid sexual misconduct allegations, like it's 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 wild.
0: And another you know turning point too, you know, believe it or not, the end of the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar feud, like you know the finality that we got uh, Saturday night at SummerSlam. For many people, they were energized by what we got in the moment, but also the fact that we're not going to have to see that again. So there were so many. There's so much positive momentum. During a really negative time, given what's happening with Vince McMahon for WWE right now, that the question on Monday night really was, will WWE capitalize on it? And I think you guys can pretty much understand where Chris and I are coming from. The answer is yes, they really did. Raw on Monday night, as far as I'm concerned, was the best WWE television episode of 2022 and one of the best episodes of any wrestling TV show this past year. I'm... I was super pumped going into it, and it delivered at every single level. I am not here to tell you it was a perfect show. No show is perfect. Nothing that exists really in this world is perfect. But it was as close to perfect as one could really want when you compare it to what we get on a normal basis week to week. It started, there was a commercial-free first hour. There were frequent picture-in-picture breaks. That was probably all about building momentum for ratings, given there was huge competition at the 9 p.m. hour from a Better Call Saul episode. It's their third to last episode. They introduced uh, characters that, I don't want to spoil it in case people watch the show, that you knew previously. The title of the show is called Breaking Bad. So it was a huge episode in the culmination of that series. But it was also smart because USA Network knew there were going to be a lot of extra eyeballs on that first hour of Raw coming off a hot SummerSlam with a lot of momentum and Triple H in charge. Most notable to me, Chris, were how many little things were done better that in totality created a more enjoyable presentation. With no world champion because, hey, Roman Reigns still can't be bothered to appear on Raw even with Triple H in charge. They focused a lot of time on the three major titles that were available. None more than the United States Championship. There was a clear effort to reestablish it, and we will discuss that later. Wrestlers got to wrestle. Champa, Chad Gable, Dolph Ziggler, Mustafa Ali, EO Sky. Not that Gable and Ziggler haven't been on TV and haven't been wrestling, but there's a difference between being on TV and then being able to show the maximum of your skill in the ring. We got so many flashes of big-time talent On this show, tag team wrestling was featured in the main event. And that's again not to say that the tag teams haven't been featured, but it was fresh. It wasn't the prophets. It wasn't the Usos. I mean, I'm sorry, it wasn't the prophets against the Usos. The Usos are obviously the champions, but the Mysterios were there. They got a tag team title match that they were actually deserving of, given a string of recent wins. There were fresh matchups. A tag team wrestler got to fight a single star, a new call up fought the champion. There were two triple threat matches that were unique and different. We hadn't seen them before. There was NXT to main roster continuity. EOSky and Champa had their bona fides specifically referenced during the show. We weren't treated like idiots being made to think these people That's never it. existed before they That's turned it. up on the main roster. There was no sweetening with the crowd noise. I believe this uh, actually I believe I this I actually it. stopped last week, but I noticed it. Monday night, we can discuss it a little bit later. There was freedom on the mic for the performers. I'm not suggesting every promo was 100% off the cuff and improv, but you could tell how much more natural everyone sounded from the opening segment all the way through the show. It felt like a living, breathing world. There were multiple backstage segments, interactions between people who normally wouldn't interact with each other. And the women were a single, Dominant storyline across the entire show with multiple segments, not just in front of the crowd, but backstage. That is the attitude era booking that I want. It's not about, you know, puppies or curse words or blood or hardcore matches. It's about a living, breathing show, something that feels like you want to sit there and be a part of it for three hours as opposed to one segment after another jammed together with commercial breaks interrupting things they shouldn't interrupt. Again, Chris, I am not saying it's a perfect show. It was as perfect of a show as WWE has given us this year. And I'll get to some of the issues that there were momentarily, but I do want to get your take on everything that I kind of just wrapped up together.
1: It it nailed the fundamentals of pro wrestling and of storytelling. Like things happen throughout the show that keep you watching. It's not segment happens. Another segment happens totally unrelated and things are just happening. Things are like you said, living, breathing. You've got people running into each other backstage. You've got things going on that feel heat of the moment. Like it felt like anything could happen. And it partly felt like that going into the show. There were a lot of rumors and hype about how, uh, how big, you know, WWE felt this episode was going to be, but just, like it, it wasn't obviously it wasn't perfect. It, 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 there's so many things you'd love to add to the show. But if, if this is like the basics of what we're going to get secondary titles that were told matter vignettes about new people to tell us who they are, stories that build a feud that builds throughout an episode, some surprise winners, some great matches. We get Seth Rollins versus Montez Ford like they just give it to us and not endless rematches coming out of a pay-per-view uh freedom on the mic these are all the things that just it's honestly it was a low bar to clear like these things are not that hard to do but it had been so long since somebody had done them that it feels so refreshing
0: it did now the biggest issue i think i had was the crowd. uh houston did not deserve a show this good on monday night there were legitimately 10 1,000 people in the Toyota Center, and it sounded like 2,000 in Lafayette, Louisiana. They could not be bothered to cheer or even make noise for great wrestling over the first hour 45 of the show. I heard two of the single weakest, this is awesome chance ever. It's like just out of the corner of like your ear, you could could barely kind of hear it percolating a little bit in the crowd. Now, the crowd did perk up for the final 75 minutes of the show. But even during that time, it wasn't that consistent. It was just a terrible atmosphere for a crowd that size. And while it's no one's fault but the people in attendance, there may actually be a couple of reasons why it happened. This was not a normal Raw. It did not have a lot of the variety show aspects that WWE normally puts forward. And while that's not a problem for me, and I'm assuming probably not that big of a deal for you, I can see some in the audience being, quote unquote, bored, for lack of a better term, with plain wrestling on their TV. Triple H does need to make sure he does not go too far in the work rate wrestling direction. Because as much as I or we, and many of you listening when I say we, may like that, it really is not what the WWE main roster is as a product. WWE is indeed sports entertainment. And the casual fans need that sports entertainment aspect along with the wrestling, especially for a three-hour show. It's one thing for SmackDown to be wrestling heavy. It's quite another for Raw to do it when it's three hours of very much the same thing with an audience that is not an AEW Dynamite audience. It is a different group of people that you are catering to. So there will be a period of retraining the fans, teaching them, hey, We're going to put on good wrestling, and you're going to get really excited about it. That period of retraining is going to happen with any significant creative change. But Triple H must ensure he does not go too far in one direction. And I don't think he will, ultimately. He is smart enough to know that. But Monday's show, this particular show that we're talking about, was pretty drastic in that one direction. Likely to set a tone for the future, establish storylines, and kind of kick things off for the next four weeks on the way into Clash at the Castle. That could be one of the reasons the crowd responded the way it did. But even with that giving them like a natural
1: excuse, it still was a shitty crowd. It it, it was a shitty crowd, but I I wouldn't even necessarily blame it on the wrestling. I mean, because what did the crowd get up for at the end? They got up for Bianca Belair and Io Shirai. You know, for having a great match. That's what's got him up. I think what was the issue was this was largely a reset, and there were a lot of new people you kinda had to figure out. They don't really know who Io Shirai is. We've only seen Champa as a sidekick for the last two months. And if you're saying, Why is Champa beating AJ Styles and all saying I don't really care about this guy? I, I have no reason to care about this guy. Commentary did the best job they could to tell us why. On television, but if you're in the arena and you you see Champa, who was just a guy who got beat up by AJ Styles at SummerSlam, has done nothing of note for months. Suddenly he's the number one contender. That doesn't excite you. It it but it's going to take some time for fans to learn who these characters are and learn to care, and that's okay. So like that's I mean they had you had promos, you had backstage run-ins, you had you it wasn't just like wrestling match wrestling it, it wasn't aew like it wasn't wrestling match wrestling match wrestling match it was just a lot of new people in new situations and you weren't quite sure uh what to think i think more than anything it'll take it'll take some time to build up champ and rai and dakota kai and kind of figure out who these people are and how they fit in what it means going forward uh I, honestly i would put it on that more It's it wasn't just it's just wrestling. It's wrestling, but it's people who we've been conditioned to not care about.
0: Right. Well, not care about. And they haven't gotten significant screen time to give us reasons to really know who they are or, yeah, care about them. Kind of like what you're saying. And and there were notable absences from the show. I mean, just like, for example, obviously, Roman Reigns not being there. Kevin Owens, right? Not Mm -hmm. being there. Someone who is a massive star who you put him in a match, people are going to cheer for that match. Right. Um, Zeke, Ezekiel, right, wasn't there. He's one of the most over babyfaces in the company right now. So there were certainly things they could have done to pop the crowd more. But at the same time, dude, we got a Seth Rollins, Montez Ford match. So Seth Rollins, the most over heel in the company in terms of like a heel who still gets cheered because people love him. And Montez Ford, one of the most exciting wrestlers in the entire company, part of the most over babyface tag team right now that that's healthy and active. And they wrestled a long match, and it was quiet. So, you know, to some point, you have to blame the fans. You have to blame the people. This mm-hmm. crowd sucked. We've gotten some damn good WWE crowds over the last two weeks. I think Detroit was a good one. Chicago, I believe, was a good one. Whatever. M- MSG, that crowd obviously. that crowd was terrible. It really was. MSG? MSG was amazing, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Houston was bad.
1: Yes.
0: Houston was terrible. Uh, One other topic I did want to kind of cover before we get into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We're going to talk about everything that happened across SmackDown and Raw, primarily Raw, this past week. Uh, WWE on Raw Monday night, they showed post-match footage from SummerSlam, including Brock Lesnar climbing into the upturned ring, standing in the corner, raising his cowboy hat to the crowd. I also need to note, I re-watched both the opening match, Bianca Belair against Becky Lynch and the main event of SummerSlam, two additional times each. So three times in total um, before I did this show, I just I was kind of captivated by the moments and and some of the, you know, the, the stuff with Bayley and Io Shirai, Io Sky, whatever you want to call her, and Dakota Kai and just the, tr- the train wreck in the best possible way for the Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar main event with the tractor and the ring and all that. It was so enthralling to me that I watched it a few different times. And I couldn't get this thought out of my head. Is it time for us to change the way we look at Brock Lesnar historically? Because he's always been appreciated. But the way he has been booked in this latest, not this babyface chapter, but the one that preceded it, it was like an albatross, you know, around our necks, kind of weighing us down, keeping us from being able to love him. He was always forced around the championship when he could have been a major draw for WWE without having the title factor in. When he was champion, he was not frequently on television. In fact, he was on TV more chasing the title as a babyface than he ever was as actual champion as a heel. But again, I watched Reigns and Lesnar a bunch of times and holy shit is this guy the consummate sports entertainer. Like I always knew that was the case, but it became so crystal clear and apparent to me on Sunday. No one can do what Lesnar can do. Many can do parts of what he can do, the strength or the athleticism or the size or the facial expressions or the presence or having legit bona fides as a you know combat sports fighter or the wrestling work rate. But no one has all of that in one package. Not Andre the Giant or Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, John Cena, Goldberg, Roman Reigns, anyone. Now, I am not saying that Brock Lesnar is better than all of those people. I'm not suggesting he would be on my Mount Rushmore above some of those people. What I'm simply saying is Brock Lesnar is one of one. He is the singularly most unique and impressive person to maybe ever be in this business. And it's unfortunate that his booking for so long overshadowed that, or at least didn't allow us to appreciate it as much in the moment because we were so angry over all the other things that surrounded him. Because when you think about it, Chris, Brock deserves a ton more praise than he receives. And it makes more sense to me now than ever before why Vince McMahon treated him the way he did. Even if I still don't agree with that booking, all being centered around the championship, not caring that he was an absent champion, all that type of stuff. When you have a guy like Brock Lesnar, you do need to put him on that top tier, on the top of the pyramid by himself, because there is no one else like him, not to mention the fact that the guy draws better than maybe anyone else in the company, perhaps now with the exception of Roman Reigns. So... I just, after a year, you know, again, I've been podcasting about wrestling for years now and I've never shit on Lesnar saying, I don't like him. He's bad. I've never said any of that, but I've been frustrated that he's in the championship picture or he has the title and oh my God, can't we get away from Brock? They, they completely turned me to another page at SummerSlam where it's, man, I don't want this guy to go. I wish that we had Brock Lesnar under Triple H's booking so we could see him as this babyface character that has become endearing, that people love the fans pop for massively, not around a championship. I just want him as part of the product. So I just felt that was something I, I need to say that I never really have before. And I was really curious to get your perspective on it as well.
1: One of the worst things that happened around Brock Lesnar was... Suplex City when he made that comment at WrestleMania 31 against uh, Roman and WWE did what it always does. And it beats something into the ground when it was pretty popular. And it suddenly became for years that every Brock match was just do as many suplexes as you can. And he became extremely not interesting, you know, and I think that there were many years that he was a champion or not the champion where it just you weren't looking forward to it. And then we get Cowboy Brock, and SummerSlam was the culmination of it for sure. But I have absolutely loved Cowboy Brock, and you can tell that Brock has loved Cowboy Brock. He's like he was rejuvenated. He can, finally grow, by it. Yes. he can finally grow the beard. He can wear some flannel and a cowboy hat, and just like go out there and just have a lot of fun. It doesn't have to be Brock Lesnar the beast. He can be Brock Lesnar the guy, and that has been the most fulfilling part of this Brock Roman stuff ever since basically last year's SummerSlam, which was like, yeah, we weren't looking forward to the match. Yeah. The WrestleMania match was not that good. Neither was the, was a crown jewel they fought again or something? Like that? I don't remember what it was. Hmm. It was another one. And it's just, it, it was not that interesting because you kind of lost track of what, what you could do. But cowboy Brock was a reminder of just how talented this guy was, how many different things he can do that nobody else can do. And why, Talent wise, he is one of the greatest of all time. Now, you know, you, you look at the championships and everything, and he he's got all the accolades, but he doesn't he doesn't have the the consistency because he was never really a full time guy. Cowboy Brock was honestly as full time as he got. You know, going up to WrestleMania, he was on TV quite a bit, and and that was fun. Um, so his his place in wrestling history is always a bit unique. It's 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 almost Andre the Giant in that way that he's so different and he's such an attraction that he's kind of on his own tier. But when Brock is into something, when Brock trusts you, when Brock likes you, when he likes a story, there are very few who are better. The, Mm -hmm. The selling that Brock can do, like he really has the whole thing down and especially letting him talk as cowboy Brock. Which he didn't get to do for years and years. He'd show up, stand there, and Haman would talk. It got boring. We, we it, it rejuvenated him. It reminded us just how talented this guy is and should be remembered.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, with with the exception of him winning the title off Biggie in that fatal five way match, I think at day one. With the exception of that decision, this run of Cowboy Brock as babyface has been fantastic. And you can even point to like again, I hated that he won Money in the Bank. But what he did with the briefcase, the boombox, and and seeing his personality, all this stuff was hidden from us. Why did they not allow Brock Lesnar to show personality even as a heel for all these years? They took someone who probably could have been an even bigger star than he actually was as champion. And they didn't allow that personality to shine through. And again, the frustrations with it was always Booking. It was booking adjacent, him being champion. And now we finally get this version of Brock Lesnar where we're like, wow, we can really buy into this. This is a guy. I want to see him beat the shit out of Omas. You know, I, I want to see him mm-hmm. uh, take on some other top people in the company once they're healthy again. I would love a, a Brock Lesnar AJ Styles actual feud. I would love to see him do something with um Randy Orton or Riddle have that you know feud actually happen maybe even yeah. put over
1: Riddle on his way out something like that Re- these are all things that, remember that Daniel Bryan match like In, that yes. was so cool like we 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 wanted more of that the Finn Balor type stuff that he that dynamic was always so interesting and instead they just kept giving us the same thing over and over and it limited him it limited Brock
0: it did so being able to enjoy him as much as I was able to on Saturday, it just it was such a different experience that that is kind of what I wanted to share, that he's finally reached this point where it's like, man, Brock Lesnar, I've always known he is awesome, but he's not only awesome, he's also entertaining me in a massive way because it's unique and a little bit different than what we got for such a long period of time that I don't want this guy to go. That may well have been his swan song, right? Does he ever wrestle again? Maybe he does, but It's only for crown jewel shows where he can get a big payday or spots at WrestleMania where it's a one-off type of match. You know, we don't know what's ahead for Brock Lesnar in his future, but for a guy that for so long, I wanted to be off my television. I want him on my television. Now that's what SummerSlam and this cowboy Brock run ultimately did for me.
1: Yes. I I'd love to see him back. Just, Nowhere near the title. Give him if you're going to use him, use him to do new different things. It doesn't have to be the biggest thing ever. Every time Brock is around.
0: Bring him in for single matches in major events. Give him four weeks of TV and one pay-per-view appearance. And that's it. That if we can get that from Brock, I think everyone is going to be very would, would be very happy to have him on the TV in that kind of format. And hopefully he loved the experience and creative freedom that he got in that SummerSlam main event. I'm not saying all of that was Triple H. Um, but if it was, if many of those aspects were him, maybe Brock does feel like he can trust this creative team, even without Vince McMahon on top. And that certainly would be uh, super important. Well, Chris, now that we are 30 minutes into the show and we talked about a lot of things that were not specific to SmackDown and Raw this week, let's go ahead, move on with the show. Two huge segments still left here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And we begin as always by sliding into the main event. And the entire main event this week is going to be covering the WWE women's division, starting with Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair and everything that transpired on Raw. And then, of course, moving into some news that seems to be percolating and developing around WWE. Uh, So I do want to start talking about Becky Lynch. And before we get to what happened at SummerSlam and what it led to on Raw, I, I do hope a lot of people are eating their words a little bit regarding her heel turn, because the general consensus, Chris, was that it's a really bad idea to turn Becky heel because she was so over as a baby face before she left. But I think there's a couple of things people didn't really consider. Number one, WWE badly needed a big time established wrestler to feud with Bianca Belair. And two, there's literally no one better in the entire company for Bianca Belair to feud with than Becky, especially a heel Becky. Was it rough in moments? Absolutely. Did fans still cheer for her on occasion? Of course they did. But they cheer a lot of heels. I just mentioned Seth Rollins earlier. Kevin Owens, another person. They cheer all the time. It ended up working well enough, the big time Becks, Becky Lynch heel turn, and she didn't lose a single fan in the process. So was it what we would have wanted most when Becky Lynch returned? No. Was the 26 second start to it kind of shitty? Even in retrospect, seeing how it played out, yes, it would have been nice if they did it a little bit different. But a year later, seeing their feud, the matches we got from both of them, and the way Becky was able to then turn out of heel back into babyface so effortlessly, both at yes. SummerSlam and then Monday night on Raw, would I call it a success at the end of the day, Chris? Yes, I would.
1: We'll get into the, her promo in a minute, but that's about as perfect a face turn as you can have in a single promo. Um Going back to last year, you know, the, the Bianca, 26 seconds. Everybody said Bianca's buried. She's the new Kofi Kingston. And both you and I said, no, this is not what's happening. They clearly have plans for Becky or Bianca to come out on top at the end, and this is the whole point of it. Our problem with the 26-second deal was it, it in the moment, it didn't accomplish what they wanted in, in the moment, which was people, uh, they didn't know what to feel because Becky came back to a celebration, she won the title and she held it up like a celebration. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not happy about this. And that was the issue at the time. But they leaned into that and eventually showed you <coughs> that that's Becky celebrating because she feels this is what she deserves. And the heel stuff was 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 very good, I thought. Um, it kind of got messy these last couple of months because of Sasha and Naomi threw a wrench into a lot of plans. But she was able to renew herself a bit. Start wearing the wacky clothes, doing a lot of things, and to the point where she was a believable heel, and in in a face is only as good as the heel they're up against. Exactly, and that helped, and that helped Bianca get to maybe the best match of WrestleMania weekend, one of the best women's matches ever. Get to doing it again to open up SummerSlam and becoming Bianca from twenty six seconds last year to this year SummerSlam became arguably the face of the company. She's in every commercial, she's doing every media thing they do. She is one of the top 2 or 3 people in that company that they put everywhere now. And Becky Lynch's role as a heel uh was a part of that. It was, I mean, to, get her, it, it was to get her it to was to get her to that
0: point. Correct. It
1: was to get her to that point. Yes. What would
0: you prefer? What we got with Becky Lynch, right? Tur- turning heel against what would be our ideal scenario for Becky, right? We always want Stone Cold to be a baby face. You know, we always want Becky Lynch to be a babyface. What was ideal? Becky turning heel and doing a great job, by the way, and elevating Bianca Belair into the number one, two, or three woman in the entire company or in all of women's wrestling in terms of popularity, right? Or having Bianca Belair, like, go against a heel Rhea Ripley and a heel Asuka, you know, like, forcing that. Uh, bringing Alexa Bliss back and making her heel, keeping the same character, making Lacey Evans come back as a heel, you know, just to face Bianca Belair, and just having her go through a bunch of people. She needed someone that she could could be the yin to her yang, or the yang to her yin, I guess technically is what it would be. She needed that that major, you know, competitor, that major heel to kind of juxtapose her as a babyface, and Becky Lynch was the right person for that job. So was it the best case scenario? No. Um, Maybe it could have been done a little bit differently at the start, not having her look pathetic with that 26 second loss. But that was a small detail. It ended up being a small detail in a much larger story. And the rest of that story was about Bianca Belair becoming the biggest name, perhaps, in the women's division in WWE.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't like Stone Cold. As a heel, that 2001 run with the invasion. Personally, I loved it and what it did back in 2001. It elevated Kurt Angle to becoming at one point the top face in the company. You it know like, that's the that's the goal of kind of some of these things, and I think that's exactly what they did here.
0: And you know that was what the goal of Brock Lesnar was for Roman Reigns, right? Like he, there's there's history, you know, where you can point to these. Shawn Michaels helped Stone Cold Steve Austin become the biggest name in the company at a period of time, as did Bret Hart. So these are, it's like you said, the, the babyface is only as good as the heel. And they took the best character actor that they had in the entire division. One of the best wrestlers they had in the entire division, turned her heel and they got Bianca Bell as over as she possibly could be. She's as big of a star as you could ask her to be at this moment. So I did want to point that out at the beginning. Thank you for indulging me, Chris. Let's get into everything that happened Monday night on raw, some stuff straggling. Uh, from SummerSlam and some news that appears to be potentially happening in the world of WWE as it pertains to the women. So Becky opened Raw uh, wearing all black with her hair braided, very much looking like the man of old. She said she put it all on the line at SummerSlam and remembered what she's all about. Not the fancy clothes, but her relentless, never give up attitude. She was wearing a sling. Lynch uh, explained she separated her shoulder at SummerSlam. She said her goal was to create the greatest women's division ever. And while her best wasn't good enough against Bianca Belair, she's not defined by matches or titles. She defines matches and she defines titles. She also said she doesn't get defined by any man. She defines the man. Great promo. Becky said a new era and her comeback story starts now. She thanked Bianca for pushing her to be the BEST all year. And then she introduced her. Belair came out to say Lynch is the man. Becky told her to hold it down for her. She'll see her soon and she kind of dipped out of the ring to give Bianca the ring to herself. Becky did note, uh, like I said, she separated her shoulder early in that match and gritted through it for 20 minutes. That just goes to show how much of a gangster she can be. Like, it, it sucks that she's hurt. The fact that she was able to do that is absolutely incredible. But what really puts a damper on this entire thing is Clash at the Castle. In the United Kingdom, Cardiff, Wales, pretty close to Ireland, you know, comparatively. Um, It has to be a heartbreaker for her to have that show so close to her home and not be able to participate in it. I hope they figure out a way to get her there anyway, just so she can get a big pop from the fans. WWE has said she'll be out several months. So a Royal Rumble return is definitely in the cards. Perhaps earlier. It's just really unfortunate. She busted ass for the last year and still has a toddler. At least she gets to enjoy Rue a little bit. She gets to go home and be with her. But when she does return, when Becky Lynch returns, it will be nuclear hot because she will be coming back yep. as the man, a huge baby face. And the way this division is being built, it seems like there's going to be a lot of people for her for her to like come back
1: and immediately feud against. Look, Becky's last face run you know when when she eventually made event to WrestleMania is maybe the greatest face run in the history of women's wrestling like it it you can't you can't quantify just how hot she was during that time the bloody nose and all that stuff and that's what wrestling fans love most more than anything else they love a badass face that's why they love stone cold steve austin in the rock more than they love john cena like there's just there's an edge to it that that so few people can Hold, and Becky holds that, and you see at the beginning of her promo where she's almost in tears, and like that right there, you're like, I'm I'm in on Becky again, like like I'm I, I'm with her, and the promo was perfect, talking about how she had lost her way, she's not really about the clothes and all that stuff, like that's exactly it, that's what every heel to face promo should be essentially. It's like the basics It's like I just got too high on myself. And I realized, thanks to Bianca, I realized who I am. And I'm back. Like, boom. That's it. That's all I need to hear. And I'm 100% in on you. And, you know, like, the, the, the shoulder, yeah, it sucks. It really sucks she's not going to be able to wrestle on that show. I, I once separated my shoulder uh, playing hockey. I have no idea how the hell she went through Continue <laughs> continued a wrestling match. Can't imagine. Dealing, yeah. dealing with someone like that. Absolutely uh, insane. Um, but, yeah, when Becky comes back, look, we, we had said – what we going into SummerSlam even coming out was we want Becky turns face, which kind of happened. Rhonda turns heel, which kind of happened leads us to WrestleMania Hollywood and you get face Becky versus heel Rhonda. That's the thing that Becky uh, talked about. Uh, that's the thing Rhonda talked about when she won the rumble. That's the thing Becky talked about when she came back. Like they've been hinting at getting back to that eventually. And Becky returning at the rumble to win and Go face Ronda is about the perfect way to do it. And that pop is going to be insane uh, whenever that happens.
0: Yeah. And there's tons of options now because we'll talk about Ronda Rousey in a little bit, um, but she's gotten a kayfabe suspension. Becky's now out. Both of their returns can be interesting. The brands that they're on can be different by the time the draft rolls around or even regardless of, of a potential draft or anything like that. Um, there's just so much there's so many possibilities out there and we don't know what's going to happen. We do think we know the end result. And if that's the end result and we get baby face Becky Lynch, the man over heel Ronda Rousey, the champion at WrestleMania 39 in Hollywood. I know WWE's about moments. That's as big of a moment for the women's division as you can get for one of the matches that can main event night one easily. It could main event night too. It could main event night too. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. But well, I'm assuming it's going to be, we're going to get either.
1: I'm assuming too. Roman
0: Reigns, Cody Rhodes, or Roman Reigns, The Rock for night two. So I'm assuming. I'm assuming
1: too, but even still, you could make a case for that.
0: You absolutely could. That's how big it is that it could at least, a case could be made against those matches. No question about it. So staying with Raw, uh, Belair got in the ring. She said she and Lynch now have mutual respect for each other. And Becky elevated her game. Suddenly, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Sky were shown attacking Lynch backstage pulling her arm out of the sling and snapping it in a chair. Belair was too late to make the save. Lynch sold the injury later in the trainer's room. Bailey said the attack wasn't about Lynch or Belair, but their group. They also had an interesting uh, interaction with the Usos who were walking in from the parking lot. I thought that was cool. The attack was a bit sloppy and chaotic. It was meant to be, but I wish I could have seen it a little bit better. But it got the job done to cement the women as the heels, set them opposite Belair, in the immediate future. And obviously that did pay off a little bit later in the show.
1: This essentially opening up the show was one of those immediate, oh, this is Triple H's time type of things, because Mm -hmm. this felt like an episode of NXT, which often has backstage beatdowns and stuff like that, or people arriving to the arena, things that I love, things that make the whole show feel like a living, breathing thing. And so to see that, I was like, all right, I'm into this. Biaga having to make that run in heels was impressive uh, and maybe a bit dangerous. (laughs) Don't want to twist an ankle or something like that. Um, But yeah, this was a great hot start to continue what happened off of SummerSlam and then build toward what's coming next. It's just like it all flowed forward. I loved it.
0: So coming out of that later in the show, we had Asuka versus Alexa Bliss. This was not announced prior to Raw, even though a number of matches were. It was just kind of announced during the show and, and we got it kind of out of nowhere. There was some good wrestling between them for about two minutes. Asuka was on top, uh, basically beating Bliss pretty bad. When Bailey, Io, and Dakota attacked for a no-contest finish, Io was ready to hit a moonsault with a chair on her stomach when Belair ran in for the save, and she immediately demanded a match with one of them. Io stepped up right away to fight her. And then in gorilla position later, Bailey said WWE has been in a downward spiral since she left, so she found two of the best in the world. Dakota said... They know how to play the game. Bailey said they'll soon be in full control, which is a word that keeps popping up around them. And I assume it's going to be their name. This all really worked to set up an exciting match. The Triple H references were obvious and appreciated. I kind of wonder if they're going going to be a group that like has his kayfabe support, like in an (laughs) on-screen capacity, or if they're just playing off of that because he is the one who's kind of allowing this to happen. Bailey did say well before, um, this actually transpired before Dakota Kai was released that she would have loved to have been in a group with her. Uh, she wanted to do something with her. And then when Dakota Kai did get released, there was a lot of well wishes coming from Bailey. Uh, Dakota Kai, I think sent her, oh no, sorry, Bailey, Bailey sent Dakota Kai like chocolates and flowers because Dakota really had her back, um, with the knee injury, something that Dakota's experienced a couple of times. She really talked her through it and helped her not get depressed and things like that. So they have a real relationship. And Io Shirai is, of course, one of the best wrestlers in the world. I assume that Dakota and Io had a relationship sharing a locker room. I'm not sure about Bailey, But my point is they did a really good job establishing this group as like-minded, on the same page, and with a clear focus. They haven't given us too much to the point that every time we see them with a mic, I'm still going to be interested to see what they say, how they explain themselves, what their name is. Are they going to add anyone else? All of that stuff is really interesting. But they did a good job so far establishing the baseline of what they are, what they're about, and what they're going after.
1: Yeah, it it, it makes sense in that sense. I love that Bailey and them kept showing up throughout the show. You know, this was another example of it. That's something that makes me not change the channel. Like I can't miss, I I can't miss if I'm late coming from a commercial break because I might miss the next Bailey segment or something like that. Like something is clearly going on on this show and I need to make sure I watch it. It's not like we get something early in the show and then we never come back to it. So that's what I mean by the stories flowing and moving forward together. That keeps my attention. And in this, again, just kept, it kept building and building here.
0: Right. If you like Bailey, if you like Bianca Belair, they told you you're going to see them throughout this entire show. Yes, Just because they're exactly. off TV now doesn't mean this thing's over. They're gonna come back, and when it did come back, the next time we saw them, uh, it was Bianca Belair versus Io Shirai. I mean, if you want to talk about a dream match for the Silver King, this is a dream match, all right, for the Silver King. I don't care that her name's Io Sky. Uh, I, I keep,
1: I'm gonna keep messing that name. No, up. It's,
0: it's fine because she is together. Io Shirai and whatever. But I know. Let me first say, okay, Io keeping her theme is great, and her Titantron package was totally eye catching. She looked like a star on mm-hmm. her way to the ring. Great presentation. EO immediately hit a springboard moonsault. We got the longest commercial break on the show immediately after that. I was like, man, the wrong time to give us a long commercial when these two finally get into the ring together. Uh, Belair countered a crossbody powering into a fallaway slam. Then she had a glam slam and a cartwheel moonsault for a near fall. Bailey and Dakota returned to distract. EO hit a hurricanrana for a near fall. Belair... Reversed a cradle into a vertical suplex. Sky flipped out of the KOD. Belair caught a Hurricane attempt and swung EO into the barricade so violently that EO sold she was knocked out. And for a moment, I was like, is she really knocked out? Because <laughs> it looked brutal. Uh, Bailey and Dakota sat on the ring apron, preventing re entry when Asuka and Bliss came down for a three on three standoff. The referee decided to use discretion. He could have called a double countout, did not. Belair hit a seated release superplex, which I have never seen before, and I'm not sure if it was a mistake or not, but it looked sick either way. Sky hit a Meteora. Belair caught her midair for a spine buster. Io got her knees up on the cartwheel moonsault. Bailey tripped Bianca as she was running the ropes. Io tried to cheat on the ropes with a pinfall, but got caught by the faces. And then the four non-legal women started brawling. And the referee called a no contest after 17 minutes with agents and referees separating all six women as the crowd... Finally, like rose to being fully alive with let them fight chance. The whole arena rang out, let them fight. The finish, obviously kind of disappointing given it was a no contest, especially if we after we got one earlier in the show, but not having a clear winner between Belair and Shirai, it makes sense because the meeting was so sudden like this. Funny enough, Chris, they have fought two times ever once in NXT once here. Both are no contest. So neither of them has a win against the other. This was a banger despite EO clearly having ring rust. There were numerous spots where she either screwed up or she wasn't as fluid as she normally is. That will come back in time. She's been out of action for a legitimate period of time. Uh, no grade for the match because it was a DQ finish, but it was on the border of BB plus at the time. And it was great for them to get 17 minutes, especially with two commercial breaks.
1: N- normally you... Normally we'd hate a DQ in the situation. Hey, you give us a long match, you're going to a DQ, you know, why book yourself into that situation? But this is how you do it. This DQ was earned and it was earned by the story they told throughout the entire show from the very beginning with Becky's promo. Like it built and it built and it built and it eventually overflowed into this brawl into the ring that had to become a DQ. Like, I am totally fine with that because it made sense. That's storytelling. Like I just, the word I keep coming back to when I think about that DQ is it was earned. It didn't feel like a waste. It didn't feel like, ah, we don't know how to finish. We're just going to do a DQ. It felt like the DQ is part of the story that they told throughout the show. I had no problems with it. I love this segment. And I think the fact that the way the crowd reacted to it and at the end was a testament to that, that it was, everybody was really into it. And just there was just too much going on. And then this happens. I thought this was really, really well done.
0: It was. And yes, you're right. Normally, we would shit all over 2 no contest finishes in the only two women's matches, one of them being two minutes long. But it was all part of a larger story. There was a clear purpose behind the entire thing. I'm not sure who the replacement is. It's either Asuka or Bliss. I'm guessing it's Asuka. But clearly, one of them is in for Becky in this Six women feud that's being developed. It would be great to do that match, the six woman match on TV, and then actually give us Bianca Belair and EO Sky. I I had hesitated saying her name. Uh, EO Sky at Clash at the Castle. Maybe save Bailey for a future show. They could also do the six women match at Clash at the Castle, but it feels like they amped it up so quickly, Chris, that like it should probably happen next week.
1: It it could. Like it, it might. It felt, and again, we got AJ Styles champion. We got Seth Ford. It feels like it's possible. Like it doesn't feel like we're just going to keep. We'll see, but I'm hoping. Well, we could get ones gonna, and ones. I mean, there's six women, right. so we could get any But I mean, like any we're, combination we're not going to. Yeah. Right. But it feels like this is building toward a six woman match at some point, which I'm into. Like again, they, they built it to that. We could get the singles matches and whatnot, but it doesn't feel like something, hopefully, where we don't just run the same thing over and over and over. Well, right. That's the question. Like,
0: Either yeah, we're gonna and, get the six woman match next week and then we're gonna build to title matches for Bel Air, or we're gonna get one one-on-one matches for the next three, four weeks, get the six woman match on Clash at the Castle, and then have Bel Air defend the title against individuals from that group over the next couple of months. That's possible
1: too. Yeah, maybe we'll see. They they set a really good foundation here.
0: Yes, absolutely they did. So to go over to the SmackDown side of things with the top woman, one of the top women on that brand, uh Ronda Rousey has been fined and suspended for attacking an official at SummerSlam. Of course, this is a kayfabe fine and suspension. But Chris, what I think is funny is I think Rousey may be on her way to the most suspensions for a single wrestler in WWE history. Like Lesnar's up there. Stone Cold Steve Austin's up there. I'm not... Austin,
1: Austin, got, a, Austin got arrested at shows. That's probably... So did Rousey. <laughs> That's
0: Rousey did too. And,
1: and so did... Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Um, So I think Rousey, though, in terms of suspensions, is like quickly catching up. I wish there was someone keeping track of those things, but she's on her way up there. As we said on the instant analysis, though, it's a really good way to write her off and get her away from Liv Morgan as the main storyline for now. Even if Rousey does come back, whether it's Crown Jewel, Survivor Series, uh, which I believe is the last show of the year. I don't think there's a December pay-per-view, maybe even day one. If she comes back and does win the title off Liv Morgan, you know, we, we're we not going to be thrilled about it because we like Liv as champion, but better for it to happen two, three, four months from now with Liv Morgan at least getting to breathe as champion, getting a couple defenses under her belt against other women on the brand, and then allowing Rousey to take the title off her, setting up the Becky Lynch feud for WrestleMania, as opposed to doing it, right away after four weeks. Again, I don't know what the booking was before Triple H took control of creative. I don't know the answer to that. If I had to guess one thing that changed at SummerSlam, I would have guessed that Rousey was booked to win the title and instead they had Liv Morgan retain it. I don't know that to be true. That is my guess.
1: Yeah, I I don't know, but I agree that it is a good way to get Ronda away from Liv, let Liv do her own thing, what you got to do, Liv can't only be the character who only won because of a cash in, you know. Actually tapped out before she got the pin. Like they can't define her as right. champion so and no, only retains attacking. out of
0: luck. And, yeah, yeah. Roll, roll yeah. So and you separate them.
1: Yeah. You you let Liv get some wins here, some fair wins here, and I think that's a good way to to kind of move it forward. And yeah, Ronda, you know, look, she's kind of part time. You know, hits here and there, and who knows when she'll come back, but. I'm always a fan of a kayfabe fine and suspension. These things should be real. The the winners should kayfabe get a bonus, and that's why they want to win. Like, I'm all about that kind of stuff.
0: Absolutely. Now, the last part of this main event is some pretty interesting news, Chris. Reports are out there that Sasha Banks has agreed to return to WWE. Now, what's interesting is Naomi is actually not named in those reports, but as we have said, with this entire story over the last couple of months on this podcast, there is a lack of solid information on these two women and their status in WWE. It has been odd to say the very least. And at this point, I'm kind of taking the perspective that I believe something will happen when I see it happen one way or another. So if Sasha Banks is on her way back, that would be really interesting and exciting you could say to yourself, "Why wouldn't they have brought her back at Raw on Monday? Strike while the iron is hot." That would be a very good question. Maybe they want to save some interesting, exciting things for SmackDown, and they don't want to just blow the load, for lack of a better term, all on Raw Monday night. That could happen. Maybe
1: and you don't you don't want to overshadow Dakota Kai and Bailey and yep. all those people too.
0: You don't want to overshadow them and Edge and all the things they were already doing on Raw. That's a great point. They could save it for next week. There's a ton of different ways that they could do this if it is indeed reality that it is happening. But man, what a turnaround it would be for this women's division to have released Dakota Kai, have Io Shirai, uh, Io Sky now, not set to re-sign her contract and ready to hit free agency because it seemed like WWE was not gonna call her up to the main roster, possibly losing Sasha Banks and Naomi, all four of those women potentially gone with one change triple h taking over talent and creative leading all four back to wwe talk about revitalizing a women's division holy shit if this is true that would be great news
1: yeah we'll see i mean i really try to avoid this stuff i don't want to know if sasha's coming back or not i wanted to I want to see it when I see it. Like I want the surprise reaction. And honestly, kind of muddying the waters is maybe a good thing. You know, there there were reports that she was uh, not uh, that she was leaving. You know, she's taking a booking at some convention under her real name, but she still shows up in the WWE roster, but her stuff's not on the shop. Like I I don't know. And I kind of just want to keep it at that until something happens. I want to be surprised by whatever she shows up doing. So yes, for the reasons we just explained. You probably don't need to throw her and maybe Naomi on top of everything else you were already doing with SummerSlam when you're trying to establish Champa, when you're trying to establish Io Sky, Dakota Kai, Return of Bailey, and all these other things. That's going to take, that's going to overtake everything. So, I don't know if it's SmackDown. I don't know if it's months from now, weeks from now. I don't know. But it's interesting. And we'll kind of wait and see. And I really hope I don't get spoiled. By some Sean Ross app tweet or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I do hope that whenever they return, if they do return, it's as organic and surprising as what we got at SummerSlam with Bailey, Dakota Kai and yes. Sky. Because that was yes. so exciting. And I love when wrestling surprises us like that. It was very much, I said at the time, it was very akin to the Adam Cole and Brian Danielson back to back. Like you saw one of them come out like, oh, that's really cool. And then they mm-hmm. hit you with the second one, right? It would be so mm-hmm. cool for WWE. I mean, they already accomplished it at SummerSlam. But it would be really cool if they're able to do the same with Sasha and Naomi, get a great reaction. Guess what? Now with all these women back, they can actually build tag teams and have a women's tag team division. And guess what? The person leading talent and creative is the one who started the women's tag team titles and and, and pushed for it, right? And, and had it go down in NXT and, and has been at the forefront of women's wrestling booking. So all of these are huge positives for the division. And it just looks really good across the board right now. Uh, for wWE creative but particularly the women, especially if Sasha and Naomi are able to make their way back, Chris, we have already covered so much on today's show, but we are nowhere close to finished so let's move into the second segment here on the getting over wrestling podcast The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Showing you the good, the bad. Now we have a ton to talk about, not just from Raw but SmackDown as well, and we need to start with probably the the biggest match on either show. That was the whatever you want to call it, good old fashioned Irish Donnie Brook Shaleli number one contendership match on SmackDown between Drew McIntyre and Sheamus. Now this opened the show. With Michael Cole doing a really good job telling the story of their longtime relationship, there were flags and stereotypical bar stuff around the ring, I should note the Irish flags, they were Ireland flags, but they were hung backwards. So they looked like Ivory Coast <laughs> flags instead of <laughs> Ireland flags, which, I mean, come on, how do you make that mistake? And what, what was crazy is there were multiple there were many of them. So it wasn't just one spot, it was many spots. anyway. McIntyre threw a bunch of chairs in the ring. Sheamus legitimately chucked one at his face. Sheamus tried white noise. McIntyre countered with the Future Shock DDT into a pile of chairs. Ridge Holland cracked a shillelagh over Drew's back, but it was no disqualification, obviously. So Sheamus followed with a pump knee for a 2.8 false finish. McIntyre eliminated Ridge with a toss belly to belly into a propped up table outside. He threw Sheamus into a bar at ringside. Butch then flew off an oak barrel to splash him before Sheamus killed him with a bar stool. Sheamus then hit Avalanche White Noise for a 2.9 false finish. McIntyre hit Butch and Sheamus with a yardstick-sized shillelagh. Then he eliminated Butch with a claymore, only to get blindsided with a brogue kick from Sheamus for a 2.9 false finish. McIntyre countered a second brogue with a kind of weak powerbomb into a table he was unable to cover. Sheamus reached for a shillelagh. McIntyre showed regret in his eyes, seeing that this was all coming to an end, and he hit a basement claymore on his friend, for the win in 25 minutes. After the bell, McIntyre talked about taking the title off the part-time champion in Reigns when Theory attacked him with briefcase shots. I believe, and I definitely could be wrong, I think this was the longest WWE television match of the year. I forget when that um, gauntlet match that Rhea Ripley won, I forget when that took place, that would be the only one I think that could come close to it. It was really, really good. I'm not gonna say it was great, it was not A+, It felt like a live action version of a WWE 2K video game match where like you could use as many weapons as you want and do as much as you want and it's just gonna take a while to put the person down. The best way to describe it was kind of like cartoonish, but at the same time, there was really good action and solid wrestling. For Ridge and Butch to attack without Drew having any help, like I don't know, New Day for example, that I thought was dumb booking. Ultimately, the right person won, the action was strong, so there's not much to gripe about. I keep going back and forth between 4.25 stars and four stars because it's right in that range. It's like a 92, 93 out of 100. Ultimately, I'm gonna say four stars, a minus. But dude, what did we get in this match that was more important than anything else? We got two big meaty men bumping meat for 25 minutes. So it was five slabs of beef. That's the most important rating. I just wish it was done a little bit more seriously, but obviously this was
1: good. It it was it was just really good, and to me it wasn't um all that cartoonish to me after the beginning. You know, after they kind of settled in, it just became basically a hardcore no DQ type of match with just with just Irish themed weapons. I didn't think it was dumb booking that. McIntyre didn't get any, any help because the point was to establish McIntyre is extremely strong. And so beating all three of them together makes sense to me because it's not like they are some established great trio or something like that. They've just kind of been wandering around for a long time. So uh, I, I love this. This was the exact perfect way to reestablish Drew McIntyre as your top contender guy going into Clash at the Castle. Um, and I, he said in his promo, he said he's going to stop. He said part time champion, but I don't, he didn't say Roman. I appreciate he was referring to either one of them because technically the match hadn't happened yet. So he, he was, he, but he's,
0: he's been calling out Roman Reigns directly. I mean, he has, but yeah. the
1: the way he he didn't say I'm coming for you Roman. He said I'm coming for the part. We're not going to have part time champions, which is a great nod to fans. It's going to get people to cheer. That gets me to cheer. I hate the part time champions. <laughs> so the idea of Drew winning the title and having the titles title or titles be on the show at least once a week on television has me excited, has me wanting Drew to win. So this was a great way to establish Drew as a legit, awesome, strong guy without doing weird sword stuff. You know, it was generally just him kicking ass. And then we talked on the summertime, you know, instant analysis that we really liked that promo as well. He looks great in street clothes. Like he's generally a serious looking dude now. And off we go to Roman. Uh, Drew, and I'm excited.
0: Absolutely. Uh, So Seth Rollins over on Raw said it was a night of celebration because no one has to see or hear Riddle. Rollins said Riddle showed guts at SummerSlam, but there's a thin line between being gutsy and stupid. He said the silver lining is Riddle is just like Randy Orton, on the shelf with a career-threatening injury. Rollins said he's turning his attention to Roman Reigns, which I thought was very interesting. When the Street Profits interrupted, Rollins did some crowd work. And he said he didn't want to share airspace with the biggest losers in WWE. He said they suck so much as a team, they should break up. Angelo Dawkins pointed out they beat Rollins to become champions. I think it was Rollins in theory, if memory serves. Uh, Montez Ford said Rollins got his ass kicked by Cody Rhodes with only one booby. Uh, Rollins said he'd fight one of them, but not both of them because that's unfair. The Profits got the crowd going. They were going to do rock, paper, and scissors. They even had a referee come out to officiate it. Ford, though, said... This is the only time they're going to see us separated. He then tricked Dawkins by throwing him the mic and ran to the ring with the referee so he could be the one to fight Rollins. I thought this was great. The conversation felt so natural between these three guys. Mm -hmm. Rollins calling out Reigns was much needed. I could see that possibly being the crown jewel match for Blood Money in the Sand, as unfortunate as it would be to throw it away there. Rollins mentioning the split, it actually made me feel better about it not happening like as a red herring, kind of like the Caleb Braxton thing, especially after Tez said, this is the only time they're going to see us separated. Why would you say that if it wasn't a red herring, right? To kind of tell people, hey, forget what he said. Don't worry about it. I loved the simple setup for what wound up being an exciting match and what it looks like is going to be a mini storyline, maybe even continuing into next week. So this was good. The promo segment, all of
1: that was really good. Very good. Definitely good. Like you said, the constant talk about them breaking up has me thinking now that they're not going to, but if they were not going to, then why not have them win the championships in SummerSlam? Like, where do they go from here? I don't know. So that was strange. Um, but the segment was fun. The match was great. You know, like just, I loved everything about this. Like it's the everything just felt fresh. It felt big. And yet they didn't give us too much either. Like, you know, you give us a good match, you know, these guys can do even more. So definitely a good step forward, although a bit of a confusing one maybe for the profits.
0: For sure. So we got Rollins versus Ford as the singles match. Montez countered a pedigree into a back body drop outside. Rollins held Montez in his arms and drove his chest first into the post. Ford went on a big run with a standing moonsault and running blockbuster for near falls. He avoided the stomp and a buckle bomb. Coming back with a tornado DDT for a rope break, Rollins caught Ford on the top rope and powered him into a buckle bomb, adding a falcon arrow for a 2.8 false finish. That got a, this is awesome chant. Tez rolled away from a frog splash. Rollins then got his knees up on Tez's frog splash before hitting the stomp for the win. I missed the match time. It was plenty long enough. I don't know how long it was, but they got enough time. And it was a really good singles showcase for Tez. Dawkins ran in to save Ford after Rollins planned to stomp him for a second time after the bell. This, Chris, is what I'm talking about. No harm in someone losing Clean, put on a good wrestling match or multiple good wrestling matches and people will get over naturally. Commentary sold Tez as making believers out of people despite losing. This worked from the promo to the final bell, top-notch stuff across the board here. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for the match. The only negative, the crowd absolutely sucked for this, but it was a very good segment.
1: Yep. Kind of like what I said, just really good match. You know, these guys can do even more and you're excited to see them in the future. And Montez can lose this match. He's in a tag team that just lost on Sunday. Like it's, it's, and Rollins didn't have a match on Sunday, you know, like it, it perfectly makes sense and it's fine. Montez Ford is not going to be diminished in our eyes. All it did is make Seth Rollins. It just reminded us that Seth Rollins is incredibly formidable and a former champion, like for all these things, like, and I, I that's a big hope I have for the Triple H era is that we get more of that stuff. And there's something in one of the other matches we will get to, I think, um, where this happened again, where it kind of went away from what WWE has been doing. And I like that, too. And we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, you're right. This is a perfect example of where, like, he would get stomped outside and lose via countout. Yes. A week ago or two weeks ago or something like that. Yep. And that we didn't get here. By the way, I do think it's notice or, or noticeable and, and notable um, that Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair made peace and they're now friends and suddenly their husbands are fighting each other. I just thought that was a <laughs> funny parallel on the that. same show, you know? Yeah. Uh, also, be sure, please, everyone listening. There is a great, great promo from The Prophets that was on Raw Talk. It's also available on Twitter. So be sure to listen to that. Uh, WWE created a video package putting over the prestige of the United States Championship. It showed footage of all the notable champions in its history. Uh, you know, everyone from Dusty Rose to John Cena and Kofi Kingston, too, as JBL narrated the whole thing. There was a mini U.S. title tournament on the show, two triple threat matches with the winners fighting to become number one contender for Bobby Lashley. Later in the show, Lashley cut a promo saying he would bring respect back to the title. Between the package, Lashley's promo, the match bookings, it was a really refreshing way for WWE to reestablish the importance of this title in what I thought was an extremely quick manner. Like, it was fast, one night, yet super effective to kind of say, hey, guess what, audience, WWE Universe, this thing matters. We're going to make it matter again starting right now. I loved the video package. Normally, we don't always give grades for things like that but from the package to Lashley's promo to the overall effort I do want to give that a separate
1: good this was honestly maybe Loki the most exciting part of the show and signaling that secondary titles are going to matter again like we got more hype for the US title than we've gotten in years just by doing that promo package, telling us why this matters, and then putting in two Triple Threat matches with former world champions. You know, there's nothing better you could do to establish something as mattering. That has me really excited for the future of the U.S. title, has me really excited for SmackDown and what we maybe get out of the Intercontinental title. Um, Triple H making these, these secondary titles mean something again is so big, and it's baffling that WWE didn't do this over the last four months when it unified the world titles, because that's what you needed to.
0: This should have been done alongside that. As soon as that happened, the U.S. title and the Intercontinental title should have been elevated as best they possibly could. And it kind of looked like they were maybe going to do that, but they just never really got around to it. And here we are now, mm-hmm. one week into Triple H, and the United States Championship is elevated and probably will be even more elevated once next week's stuff ends. And we'll get to that right now. We'll talk about what's going on. Uh, what what happened Monday night and what it could mean for next Monday. So the first triple threat match was AJ Styles, Mustafa Ali, and The Miz. There was a great spot with Styles slapping Ali so hard he collapsed onto the bottom turnbuckle. Styles had Miz set for an inverted DDT when Ali rolled in for a neckbreaker simultaneously. Styles caught Ali missing a 450 into a neckbreaker on his knee. There was a This Is Awesome chant. Ali caught Styles outside with a flying tornado DDT from the top rope. Miz caught Ali back inside with the skull crushing finale, but he had injured ribs and he wasn't able to cover quickly. So that only got him a 2.5 count. Ali super kicked Miz and then hit a 450 in the corner. But as his body was like bouncing off of Miz, Styles grabbed him on the rebound for a Styles clash into Miz's body for the (laughs) one, two, three in nine minutes. My only note was the time here. It would have been great for this to get three or four more minutes because it was really just picking up intensity and getting into gear at the finish. But holy shit, that finish rocked. And given the names in this match, Styles needed to be the winner. Ali was reestablished as legitimate for being one move away from a win. And that's all that was necessary for him. Again, you don't have to win. You just need to look like you can contend and be on the level of people like AJ Styles. So yes, Obviously, this was a good one. That was a good one, yeah. I also went three point five stars in a B for the match.
1: Yeah, this is great. That's a that's a that's a five star finish to, to five a very star good finish, match. Yes. Yeah, um yeah, Ali looked great. Like that's all you need. Like you don't need to do all the puns or stuff. You need to set the groundwork to tell us that these people matter and that they are formidable. And that's what we're seeing in this first episode of Raw. What happened with Ali and what happened with in, you know, Champa in the next match.
0: Great segue, thank you so much. So we had Dolph Ziggler, Champa, and Chad Gable in the second triple threat. Champa got a new, more hardcore entrance theme. Gable got another ring walk promo where he appropriately shit on the Astros. Ziggler was able to sell a slingshot like absolute death. All three guys had great sequences with one another. Gable kicked out of a zigzag. Champa hit a leg drop to break an ankle lock. Gable wrenched Champa into a German suplex. Ziggler caught it at the end for a zigzag and a near fall. Champa and Ziggler countered signature moves. Ziggler countered fairytale ending into a super kick, but Champa kicked out of Gable's pin attempt. Champa then hit lifted knees on both Ziggler and Gable before finally hitting fairytale ending on Gable for the win in 10 minutes. I did expect Champa to win given the way this was booked, the people that were in the match, especially with Styles on the other side, it made sense to continue that feud with Miz and Champa and Styles but I kind of doubted it would actually happen until the bell finally rang. This match was a certified banger with more time, a little bit more time, one or two minutes more, um this would have been an even better match as it stood though. It was four stars and an A minus, obviously good. It was I was just so personally happy for Champa after the way he started out on the main roster with the Miz and kind of running in, not being able to talk, doing all that shit. For him to be able to show out in the ring, cut a promo on Raw that was really solid. We'll talk about that a little bit later. For him to get just even this moment was exciting to me. Obviously, this was good.
1: Yeah, this was just really good. Like we said, just another match where you let everybody shine and they look good and Champ gets the win. And I'm thinking, oh, that's awesome. Like I, we we kind of wondered, hey, Triple H in charge. He loves Champa. Hey, he threw him a bone. He put him in the number one contender match for the US title. That's great. He's really doing his own thing. AJ versus Bobby Lashley is going to be really fun, but it's really cool that Champa's in this spot. You know, it, it'll, it'll help him move forward. That's my thinking when this match ends.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. So let's get to the one-on-one match, the culmination of this mini tournament, Styles versus Champa. You want to talk about a dream match? Yeah, we had it already. It got like four minutes, and we hated it. Here we go. It didn't get four minutes. Let me tell you that. Uh, Miz gave Champa a pep talk backstage. Then Champa cut a promo on. Sorry, Miz cut a promo on Logan Paul before Champa said he used to respect Styles before he decided to support an influencer over a wrestler. I thought that was very, very smart. Miz put Champa over, saying he will help him become the next elite WWE superstar. Booker T got an introduction. He sat in for commentary, where he and the guys put over Champa big for his skill, preparation being a former NXT champion. Styles hit the Phenomenal Forearm to the outside, a neckbreaker over his knee, and a front slam inside for a near fall. Champa escaped the Styles Clash, but ate a suplex into the corner. Champa countered the Phenomenal Forearm with a pump knee for a 2.8 false finish. Then he hit a backbreaker bomb for another near fall. Styles countered an avalanche aerial crash pulling Champa off the ropes immediately into a Styles clash. But Miz put Champa's foot on the rope for the save. Styles threw Miz over the timekeeper's area. Champa then drove Styles into the post and threw him into the same bucket. As Styles was trying to get back, Miz grabbed his leg. And Chris, my immediate thought, yours too, was, oh my God, they're going to do another count finish here. I'm assuming yep. that was your thought. I just, it was pessimism upon pessimism. As much as WWE may be changing, they can't get away from this. Except Styles got away, got back into the ring at 9.9, and as soon as he got in the ring, Champa caught him with a pump knee, and then hit Fairy Tale Ending for the one, two, three in 13 minutes. This was just an absolute certified banger of a match. The interferences in the finish downgraded it a little bit. It was still four stars and an A minus. It got plenty of time. Champa was established, and now we get to see what he can do against Lashley next week. This was so well done the entire night. The triple threats, the video packages, the promos. It gives us a reason to be excited for Raw next week, excited for Champ's future in WWE, excited for the United States Championship. Yes, once again, I will say it.
1: Obviously, this was good. That, that almost countout was 100% done on purpose. Yes. As, yes. an, as an acknowledgement to what had essentially become the countout era of WWE. <laughs> and that is the thing I was mentioning earlier where, um, you know, a, a DQ finish in that women's match. We're fine with it because they earned it. They're doing, they're doing something different. Montez Ford getting pinned clean and looking good. They're doing something different, not doing a countout in the spot where they would hundred percent always do a countout is another example yep. of that. This match was awesome. That knee, that, that jumping knee to the head of Styles off the Phenomenal Forum was ridiculous. And yeah, I didn't think Champa had a chance here. So when he won, I was stunned. And I was like, holy crap, Triple H really is doing the damn thing here. <laughs> he is unabashedly put doing this show every which way he wants to do it. And that was just exciting. So yeah, Champa versus Lashley next week. I'm, I'm probably not going to pick Champa to win, but... I'm interested. And and after that, I don't know if you were, are probably going to get to it, but we got Lashley cutting a promo on Champa, putting Champa over even more. Yeah. Like that got me excited for it. It wasn't just like Lashley's watching the TV screen and he's like cracking his knuckles ready to go. No, we got his live reaction yes. to it in yes. the moment. Like it was a real sports thing. Like exactly. that, that hyped it up even more for next week. So just again, terrific execution.
0: Yeah. And as you said, look, next week we'll give a really quick preview I, you guys know, I love Tommaso Ciampa. I love Ciampa. I love everything about him as a wrestler, as a promo guy in the ring. He absolutely should not beat Bobby Lashley, okay? Like, I, you know, Triple H, like he's gonna do what he's gonna do. And maybe he does this to push him really strong and establish him. Lashley is an absolute beast. He's the most over babyface face right now in the entire company. One, of, sorry, I, I said the most. One of the most over baby faces in the entire company. They did a great job putting him uh, against Theory and allowing Theory's heel-ishness to kind of rub off on Lashley and make him even more popular. It is totally fine for Champa to lose to Lashley after beating Styles. In fact, it may even be a good reason for him to turn on The Miz and split from The Miz. Maybe Miz screws yes. him over in the match accidentally or on purpose. One of the two things. Lashley needs to retain the United States Championship next week.
1: I was going to mention the Miz thing. I, I, I know some people were kind of upset that Champa's is still being presented as a sidekick. They're upset that he's still in the neon. No issue. Well, look, at all. Yeah. that's the only way people know Champa right now. Yep. Most people who are watching Raw, they don't know the other part of Champa. You're going to have to grow that, and he's going to probably feud with the Miz at some point. You'll get to that point. But people know the Miz, and you know what? During that Champa-AJ Styles match, crowds chanting tiny balls yep. at the Miz because the Miz gets everything over and he, and he is what he is. So um, obviously the track record of Miz sidekicks does not turn out well, but I think this is going to be in a different direction because it's about getting him away from the Miz more than getting, you know, one up on the
0: Miz. Yeah, we will get that feud. And when we do, Champa will beat Miz and everything's going to be fine. So again, have Lashley win, do Ciampa Miz, Champa beats Miz, break away. I did get a DM from Brian Devel, Devel, Devel sorry, I'm not sure how you, how you uh, pronounce it, at the Blue Ribbons. Raw is in Cleveland next week. Is it Gargano time? Not only is Johnny Gargano from Cleveland, so is The Miz. And given yes. the storyline involving Styles being at a two-on-one disadvantage this whole time, it is certainly possible Like something like this could happen. It would be a huge moment coming out of a great Raw and a great SummerSlam. That is how you capitalize on momentum. Do I expect it to happen? No, I am not going into Raw on Monday expecting to see Johnny Gargano. Do I think it's a possibility given the location, if they've come to a deal? It would be a great way to debut him.
1: Absolutely. It it kind of would, but again, it it sends champ off in a different direction he's got to go through this miz thing he's a heel right now
0: like well miz could turn on him and gargano could come and save him and they could be a tag team diy again so you can you could get yeah, you can make it
1: work you can make it work you you, you could make it work like that, but that's a lot happening at once i'd love to see it look it feels like anything's possible under triple h so it, look, does. It's, it it's possible
0: uh there was a quick video from logan paul putting over how much fun he had at SummerSlam, saying he was going to talk to WWE about solidifying his multi-year deal because he thinks he found his calling. My assumption when he said that is he meant talking to WWE about adding more dates and making him making it a little bit more permanent than it otherwise would be. Maybe he's contracted for like four shows a year now. Maybe he makes it eight or 12 or something like that or more TV appearances, I don't know. Either way, the video put WWE over big to his millions of followers Triple H is going to be a guest on his podcast this week. The clip of him doing the frog splash, I think it has like 40 million social media impressions across his platforms and WWE's platforms. This is really good for WWE as a whole.
1: Yeah, I mean, we said on SummerSlam, it was as well executed as you could do it. This is why they do it. My company, I didn't write anything about SummerSlam for The Athletic, but The Athletic put the Logan Paul Frogs us on their Instagram page like that just that crosses over to uh, everybody sports. That, that's exactly why you do something like yeah. this. And the Literally. fact that Logan Paul is very good at it is is an even bigger bonus,
0: like way better than he should be. And we discussed that on the SummerSlam Instant Analysis again. Even if you decided to listen to the show first, please be sure and listen to the SummerSlam Instant Analysis podcast when you are done. Uh, Edge entered on Raw to Metalingus and got a huge pop. He said he's been an asshole the last few months. He said he created Judgment Day as a way to pass along knowledge and help underutilize talent. Instead, they got a little taste of that and it went to their heads. Edge gave them credit for getting one over on him with Finn Balor. He then promised to kill what he created and end Judgment Day. I thought it was short, sweet, and effective. Super passionate promo. His entrance, he was so energetic running around doing his entrance. He was out of breath when he got to the ring and started cutting his promo. To me, those are all signs of, a guy who really knows how to work the crowd. And of course, a good promo, which makes this a good segment.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely good. And you kind of hit it all there. Yeah.
0: All right. The Undisputed Tag Team Championship was the main event of the show. The Usos against the Mysterios. The Usos were caught walking into the arena, saying they were as confident as ever. Ray later cut like a really short promo backstage. Ray did good work early in the match. The Usos caught Dom flying outside to drive him into the ring post. Dom hit a tornado DDT on Jimmy inside. Ray had a great hot tag, but Jay caught a springboard midair with a superkick for a near fall. Mysterios caught Jimmy with a double 619. Dom hit a frog splash, but Jay broke the fall in a really good false finish. Jay superkicked Ray at ringside. He ate a tope from Dom. They then went to the top rope, and when I say top rope, they stood on top of the rope and the ring post. Unfortunately, when they were at the top of the ring post, nothing really happened. They just both fell down. Uh, Dom set Jimmy up for the 619. Jay ended up blind tagging. Then they caught Dom with the 1D for the win in 16 minutes. This was a way better match than I expected. And Dom held his own in spots. I went 3.5 stars and a B. I was worried about the booking because it was so sudden. I was like, oh my God, are they going to change the titles for some reason? But they didn't. And that plus the match was all good.
1: Yeah, I was I was cons- I was, was curious about the title change too. You may forget that this Uso's tag team reign began with them taking the titles from the Mysterios I did on, the Money in the ba- on the Money in the Bank uh, kickoff show that I went to a year ago, um, the first pay-per-view back with fans. Um, so I-, I was kind of mixed on my excitement for this, but th- these teams have great chemistry together. Like even then when they did a bunch of matches together back then, they just, they work really well. They helped Dom shine. There was the one where the Usos broke up the pin, broke up the Mysterios pin. Was, I-, I say this every time. The Usos are maybe the best ever at breaking up a pin at the last second, and that was one of their best ever. Do you there notice? Second, do, you, do
0: you notice that they always do it by hitting the other's ass?
1: Yeah, they they always run <laughs> it's in like, their, like to the ass hit. every single time. Yeah, <laughs> and and the camera work was great. They, they, they had me there. There was a split second. One, yeah. two, and I'm like, oh my god, they they're gonna me. do it! And then the, boom, and then yeah. boom, he's in and gets there. Like they timed that so freaking perfectly that's so hard to do and if because if you're the guy on the ground you got to trust the other you got to trust your brother to break it up at the right time and make sure you don't kick out like that that is incredible chemistry um that was incredible the spot on the top of the top of the rope was very weird you kind of thought there was going to be a big superplex then dom might do something and then nothing really happened It was kind of a weird spot but um yeah i uh this was great it was, it was a really really good match
0: After the Bell Judgment Day attacked the Mysterios, Edge made the save. He hit Finn Balor with execution, but Rhea Ripley pushed Dom in the way of Balor to eat a spear from Edge, and then Edge chased Balor backstage. Ray looked confused in the ring, and Raw ended with trainers checking on Dom as he screamed in pain. I thought this was perfectly executed, and there's so much they can do off this. First of all, it was good, obviously, but they can create tension between Edge and Ray that leads to them maybe teaming up again perhaps being the perfect pair even to take the titles off the Usos down the line. Don't forget, they used to be a tag team back in the day Mm -hmm. and won the championships together. So them reuniting, given there's no top face tag teams right now to fight the Usos, not only would they be a good team that would excite the fans, but they're totally legitimate to end a reign like that. They also set up a way to potentially write Dominic off TV with the injury. I want to discuss that more in a minute. But in terms of this initial booking and the way they ended Raw with a cliffhanger, a moment that oh my god, did Edge mean to do that? No, blah blah blah. All of that was very impressive, very Attitude Era, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, it, for a second you kind of felt like, wait, is that it? You're waiting for the the the, the copyright thing. You're wondering is Triple H going to do another one of those at the end? And then it, it it just ended. But I liked it. I liked that it kind of ended with a cliffhanger and some concern. You know, it didn't just end with somebody standing tall, good or bad. It ended with kind of concern, kind of mystery that makes you interested in the next show. It doesn't feel like the book closed on the show; it feels like it's still going and it'll go on to next week. So I like that. You did kind of, uh, you, you kind of brush over one part of of this beatdown when the Judgment Day comes in. Rhea Ripley gets Dom in a chokehold with her legs back Dom's up against Dom. the turnbuckle.
0: Yeah,
1: and twitter went crazy over this not just Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah uh uh this is a family show a little bit but but big swole made a comment about making sure dom has to breathe through his nose uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good it's a good tip there and ria herself tweeted dom be out here living your dreams <laughs> I I'd spit on my drink when i saw that so uh that was um let's just say uh, enjoyable
0: She's got me saying, hey, now! Uh, let me just say this. Um, I, I don't know how to put this. So <laughs> I probably shouldn't even say it. But look, here's the deal. So uh, in my life, right, uh, I've been attracted to all different types of women. Right. I've never been attracted to the aesthetic that Rhea Ripley puts forward. You know, the the, the sure. darkness, the, the piercings, tattoos, leather, the whole deal. All I'm going to say is there's something really unique and special about Rhea Ripley. And. It's from a look, it's an attitude, it's the way she speaks, it's the entire package. And that is attractive, not just in the conventional way, but also attractive in terms of a character. And someone that mm-hmm. seems to raise the rent every time she is in and around the ring or backstage or involved in a storyline. And she's always had that from when she kind of made that character change. And, and it seems like to some degree, personality change in NXT called up to the main roster, when she started that tag team with Liv, it started clicking a little bit. She started buying into a lot of the things people were saying on social media and using that to kind of further her, her character on screen. And the I'm Your Poppy stuff, her cover, the way she covers women in the ring, um, you know, just calling it, pushing their legs back and, and, and leaning over them for the one, two, three, um, this stuff that she did with Dom responding to the online comments, the way she did, it's just all fun. And she's like, you feel like she's part of you. Like you're, she's part of the crew, right? Like, like she's buying into the sentiment that's being put out there and it's a positive sentiment and she's playing along with it. So you're right. Like there's just something different about her. There's something different about judgment day when she's there versus when she's not. She very much could be the leader of that group. If they decide to keep Judgment Day together with, you know, after this edge thing ends and they made her the female leader of two or three guys in that group, it's the right thing. And I say that despite being someone who loves Finn Balor, who believes Finn Balor should be leading a faction, yet somehow Rhea Ripley, there's just something special about her that makes you want to watch and see what she's going to do next.
1: Finn Balor had said leading into SummerSlam, just like in interview said, there is no leader of the Judgment Day, um, but that could change. And and Rhea, you talk about her like feeling like one of the crew. She can beat up dudes in the ring, and you totally believe it. Absolutely. Like that's, that's what she brings to the table in this group. She feels like an equal among them. She doesn't feel like the woman in the group. Now, you're probably not going to get many situations where men are hitting her, but it doesn't. Feel like she's just there to be the woman. It feels yeah. like well, she's an equal yeah. among them. And and one more thing, I mentioned. I forgot to mention this on the Edge promo, and I just said it. Edge said Judgment Day in his promo. He didn't say the Judgment. I'm day, aware. So I figured you. I figured you'd like. To I'm aware
0: because Edge is smart, and Edge knows what it should be. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want. I don't want them, and I don't think they will make Rhea Ripley into like China, for example. But on rare occasion, if a storyline called for it her fighting a man in an intergender match, I would I'd would love to see. I don't want to don't want to see her fight Rey Mysterio or Dolph Ziggler, whatever. But like Dominic, if they did Rhea Ripley and Dominic and had Ripley beat Dominic, I would 1000% buy that. I'd want to see it and I would buy the result.
1: I mean, I'd buy it with Dolph or Rey too.
0: I'm just saying I don't I'm just saying it's due to Rey Mysterio being a former both of them being former world champions, it's less believable that they would lose to her. Then Dominic would. Yeah. I'd want to see her uh, only I'm, in situations where she could win, is what I'm saying. Sure.
1: I mean, I, I still think I'd put Rhea over them just because they're not near that form anymore. But th- yeah, your point, the point's the same. Point's absolutely yeah. the same. That it's, it's possible. I doubt it. You know, they've kind of only done these things with Reggie and he does a lot of flippy stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, who knows? So real quick, here's the deal with Dom before we move on. The kid is actually somewhat talented. He has
0: size, a good look, natural ability. Obviously, he has name value. But he just has not developed in the ring or on the mic since like month four of his debut on the main roster during the pandemic. That was nearly two years ago. He needs to be split from Ray. He needs to either go to NXT or maybe even be granted like a tour of Japan or Mexico or something. I know WWE doesn't normally do that, but he's a Mysterio. It's a little bit different. I do believe Dominic Mysterio can make it. I don't think he's as bad as some say. People point out the differences between Hook and Dominic Mysterio. Well, let me tell you guys something. Hook, he's like very, he's eye-catching, right? You're you're really curious about what he's going to do. His presentation is great, all that. But Dominic actually wrestles like long matches. Hook has like four minute matches. So I'm not saying that I prefer Dominic over Hook. I don't. Because the presentation of Hook has been eons better than it has been for Dom. But... Neither of them are at a point where you're kind of saying, Oh my God, this is going to be the next world champion. And with Dominic, he's been there long enough and on TV long enough where he should be further along than Hook is. And yet he's not. He's kind of at the same point in his career. So they need to get him off TV, off the main roster. Again, NXT, Japan, Mexico, wherever, the guy needs to develop. And I really hope that this kayfabe rib injury that
1: they gave us in the main event on Monday
0: night, I hope that is a way to write him off.
1: I think Dom is. Perfect perfectly replacement level wrestler right now. He he's he doesn't he, he makes some mistakes, but he doesn't make like terrible mistakes, and everything he's in is like fine. But you're right, he has not grown in at least a year. And I think it's I think part of it is because they as soon as they made Ray and Dominic a specific tag team, like that was about it. Like he hasn't grown since then because the Mysterious Ev- as a team haven't done anything. They haven't been involved in a real story story since the since the buddy Murphy, like in the family type of thing, like the Mysterios as a team have just done nothing. It's just like, Hey, here are the Mysterios. They're here. Like they're just known as the father, son tag team doing things. You know, they do the Ms. Logan Paul stuff. They get some moments, but there's no story really around them. And I think that's where Dominic hasn't been. He needs to have solo promos. He needs to basically stop being protected by being under Ray. And like you said, Go off and do his own thing. Like he's that that's the only way to get him to grow and learn and just do other things. He's gotta get just get him away from being what he is so we can have different experiences. I I have full faith in him being very good. his his debut, like when he first came into WWE during the pandemic, stuff like that, like it blew me away how much of a natural he was. But you know, you gotta add some you gotta refine some skills to that. And the way they've booked the Mysterious over the past year has just not been a way to do that. So get him off doing something else.
0: Absolutely. All right. A couple more segments here and a couple DMs, and then we're done with the show. Uh, New Day fought Viking Raiders on SmackDown. Ivar murdered Kofi Kingston with an upright splash into the barricade. Kofi later answered with an SOS. Xavier Woods' tornado DDT on Eric was in near fall. So was a front slam and splash by New Day. Kofi then got caught with a flip over knee, booster seat, and double spine buster with the Raiders winning clean. After the bell, they grabbed their Viking shields. Woods charged and got smacked in the head. The Raiders then wrapped a chair around his foot and slammed it uh, with both shields, and he heavily sold an Achilles injury to the point he was screaming with Kofi and trainers checking on him. My thought in the finish was that the Street Profits would soon be champions, so it made sense to build the Raiders as heels. Plus, having them take out Xavier so blatantly did push their viciousness, even though that label has been overused. New Day is so successful long term, they can afford to take an L like this. But it was surprising, and given the Prophets did not win the titles, I don't really know the point of having the Raiders be so strong at this point. I just wish the match had been better, the in-ring, to make it more impactful. I'm saying good, but it wasn't that good. It was just not bad.
1: Yeah, I just, I can't get into this because they keep saying new vicious Viking Raiders. (laughs) Like, I just, I can't take it seriously when they're the announcer says that on their entrance. Like I just can't get over that. And maybe that's just a me thing. I just, the rest of it just becomes a blur of like, all right, I don't know what we're doing, but it's like, it doesn't feel like real. How is that a real that's happening? Um, That's about all my thoughts on that. I, I, I have not cared about the new day in a long ass time. Yeah. Stuff with the, the stuff with the brutes, was a slog. This Viking Raider stuff is a slog. You know, their New Day, they'll be fine. They're over. But like, I'm surprised we haven't gotten them in another spot yet. It feels like it's been quite a long time without New Day rising up when when typically
0: they would. It seemed like Xavier Woods was on his way to getting pushed as a single star for like an intercontinental title run. And maybe that's still going to happen, but that's what they need to do. Like keep them together as friends, but have them operate as singles. Just They got to do something different with New Day, especially while Big East is still out because what they're doing right now, they're over still. They're getting huge pops. It's just not working. It feels weird. It's inconsistent. I don't know. Something's wrong with it that they need to fix. Uh, Shotzi fought Aaliyah on SmackDown. This was supposed to be Lacey Evans, but it didn't happen. Uh, They said she wasn't medically cleared. For right now, I'm going to believe that's accurate. Shotzi didn't get an entrance or a promo. Aaliyah escaped a lion tamer but he had a cross-legged DDT called Never Wake Up with Shotzi winning in three minutes. Now, I would normally gripe about the time, but Aaliyah is truly awful in the ring. So a relative squash for Shotzi was what it should have been against Aaliyah, and it was the best possible booking. I did think it was strange they had Ronda Rousey come out and like toss Shotzi aside after a couple of minutes. That was weird, but I'm not gonna say it's bad when they put Shotzi in a singles match and had her win. So for me, it's good.
1: Yeah, it's a good. It didn't really mean anything. I did love Ronda coming in. This is where Ronda cut the promo, right? And then she basically some, where she said like your fans, your
0: parents failed raising you or something your like that. I yeah.
1: failed you or something yeah. like that. I was like, oh shit. I was like, all right, we're going heel Ronda here. I like it. So that was kind of a first tease on that. But uh, yeah, it was fine. It was overall not much of anything.
0: Maximum male models did their beachwear collection showcase on SmackDown. This time, it was completely taped as a vignette with Maxine Dupree, Sophia Cromwell from NXT handling the introductions at the end. Max Dupree showed up, which was such a great troll job by WWE (laughs) because there were so many reports out there that the former LA Knight had been dropped and removed from the gimmick. So they did the whole gimmick without him and then dropped him in at the end. Overall, I did actually think it was a huge downgrade though from the live runway. It felt more serious and less satirical, which the whole reason we like it is because it's satirical. It's tongue in cheek. It's Zoolander. That's what we like about it. So. I actually give this segment a bad, and I think it's actually the only bad on the entire week, but I will say their SummerSlam commercial for Pure Joy Water was great. So I'm yes. sure it'll be fine next week and going forward, but it was indeed bad on Smack. Teme-
1: it was bad, but I was glad Max Dupree was back. I wasn't on the show last week or whatever to talk about it, but I had made the comment like two weeks ago that the second time they did the runway one, I said, it feels like Max Dupree's not quite in this, like the way he Agreed. was the yeah. first time. And then the reports came out that he may have been dropped from it or he may be due- they didn't know what his future was. So that maybe kind of confirmed why he felt that way. Maxine Dupree does nothing for me in this gimmick. Like you said, it feels she doesn't? like it's a serious... No, I mean, like in this gimmick, I'm saying like, I'm not into I'm not into Maxine's male models like as a gimmick, like it's not it was supposed like you said, it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. It's not supposed to be serious. So like when she comes, she's coming across doing it seriously. I'm like, well, this is just whatever. Like, I don't need to take I don't I, I have no interest in that character. But when Max Dupree comes back, when he shows up and just the way he's so funny about it, like I was like, all right, I'm back in on it. The water commercial was really funny like that's what you you gotta really lean into the goofiness of it not that she's a serious manager with these model wrestlers like that type of deal
0: well sure she's just the director of talent and good, she's got me saying, hey, so there's really nothing wrong with that either hey that's his sister by the way it is. it's his sister hey, not hey, my hey. sister but yeah you're right he is All right but effect. he shouldn't be saying hey. <laughs> uh well, before we get to a couple dms one really quick thing so wwe historically loves promoting celebrities in the crowd. It's like one of their favorite things to do. They completely ignored Lin-Manuel Miranda on Raw last Monday. I'm sure there were others in the crowd at Madison Square Garden. And freaking Dikembe Mutombo in Atlanta during SmackDown. These are massive names. And it was just stunning to me that they didn't put them on camera, show a name, you know, even if they didn't want to be acknowledged individually. Make sure the camera's on them a little bit more than it otherwise would be in those particular corners. I found it so weird that w w e didn't capitalize on that and by the way, at SummerSlam, there were a bunch of celebrities in the front row also, and they just ignored it with the exception of of course kid Rock f Kid Rock, as I said previously it's It's antithetical for what I know about w w e to not capitalize on celebrities in attendance very weird.
1: That's I I mean Triple H love to talk about celebrities in NXT, so like I I don't really know understand why that happened. Very strange.
0: All right, a couple DMs before we get out of here. Omar Gonzalez at the Omar Gonzalez. He said with trips having the book, obviously he's pushing his NXT kids, quote unquote, like Champa, EO, and Dakota. The question I have is who does the Silver King and Vintage think is going to get the short end of the booking? On Monday, there was no Omas, no Veer, nor any of the twenty-seven title shenanigans. Will we ever see Zeke speak again? Jokes aside, Swerve Strickland did criticize Trips for delaying pushes of talent that were not his, quote unquote, core guys. Someone listened to the Swerve interview. Thank you. Uh, Do you think we see that criticism on the main roster? So first of all, uh, there was no theory on the show, which you left out, which I think was the biggest absence. I thought it was smart to give us a break from him because he's been all over Raw and SmackDown ever since Money in the Bank. Theory is a Triple H guy. Don't get that twisted. So it was either to sell the SummerSlam injuries or maybe they moved them to SmackDown given that's where Reigns resides and where Drew McIntyre is. He just was not needed on Raw. No 24-7 title. It's actually the second week in the row that there wasn't a 24-7 title. And I did tweet about that. As I've said before, that title can be booked well. It just has not been booked well. Should be treated like the hardcore title and they should be alerting your phones and on Twitter where randomly it's being defended during the middle of a Wednesday just to get people interacting with social media and make it seem like it's this like living title, living, breathing title, house shows it can be defended at. They could give us live streams of it. They could really do some really cool shit with it. They just don't. If it does go away, if it is gone, I'm totally fine with that. I would prefer they merge it with another title instead of just disappearing it from TV. This week, though, to answer your larger question, this week was about establishment, not banishment. I don't look at any of those guys not being on TV as an issue. Zeke, Omos, and Veer, Omos, I'm sorry, and Veer, they were all on NXT, as was Kevin Owens, don't forget. These guys were all his recruits. Omos will be fine. Veer needed a repackage, Chris, and guess what? He wore a suit and cut a promo on his Twitter account Monday, speaking and acting like a normal human being, just like I've been begging them to do with him. That felt good to see. Zeke is over as a babyface. They're not going to get rid of him. Again, Owens wasn't on the show. If we're going to look at who wasn't there as some sort of an indictment, you have to include people like Owens who weren't there. Zero issue for me. So for me, it's nothing to worry about. It was not about people being banished. It was about who Triple H wanted to feature because of the storylines that he was trying to start.
1: Yeah, I like I've been trying to think of specific wrestlers who may not get as much of a push or may not get as much of a spotlight moving forward and I don't I don't even know it's really about that. It it it's like I don't like with Vince like yeah, there were people who got banished or people who just you had a couple of vignettes and then you never saw them again and they just disappeared. I I don't get the sense that they're going to do it exactly that way. I I wondered if someone like The Miz might be in just a bit of a lesser role, may not be you know, getting as many high profile situations. If he's with celebrities, you do him with celebrities. But if he's not with celebrities, you know, he's a guy you throw in a triple threat match to determine a number one contender type of thing, but he doesn't win. So I, I don't really know. It's it, like, it's only been a couple of episodes. You kind of got to wait and see Omas, you know, th- maybe they're just waiting to find a good spot to use him. It's right. not like, exactly. it's not like so many people, it's not like so many people were in great stories and Triple H has just stopped those great stories. Like, that's not and how it works. And it's you're not supposed
0: right to use them. everyone every week.
1: Right.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. You, yeah, but you're no, not. That was about the, it. Yeah. the whole point is to rotate talent. I mean, there were other people who weren't on the show, like Cedric Alexander, Otis, Shelton Benjamin, DiJack. These are all people, all four of them that we want to see more regularly, but we're not going to get them every week. So we can't freak out about it when we don't see them for one week.
1: Or two. Yeah, that's it's kind of TBD. And again, I don't, I don't even know. even like the comments swerve made. That's not necessarily like banishing somebody or ignoring them. It's just maybe not using them to their full potential, but
0: or featuring them right in a certain way. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we'll see. Uh,
0: one other DM from Justin Downs at Banana Pancakes, which is a great Twitter handle. Uh, can you just um, and by the way, very good food. Banana pancakes are delicious. Can you just imagine the dream we could have been living if this all went down early last year? Imagine a WWE with Trips holding the book. And we still have guys like Alistair Black, Buddy Murphy, Adam Cole, Bray Wyatt, Keith Lee, Swerve. Talk about dream roster stacked to the rafters with possible lifers that can become star after star. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. I can't imagine that. And that's what I wanted a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. I've wanted this for a long time. I'm just happy it's happening now. Those people, many of whom you just listed are in a really good spot in AEW. So good for them. I'm happy that they're happy. And if the timing works out, and if the money is right, maybe a couple of them will be back in WWE one day with Triple H holding the book.
1: Yeah, well, one thing I wanted, I was missed last week to talk about it, but the idea of people coming back from AEW, and we don't need to, we can end this here, but Tony Khan said on Busted Open Radio that Adam Cole has like a five-year contract. Aleister Black has like a five-year contract these people are not coming back to WWE anytime soon so we we can kind of kind of the wishing of who's going to come back there's a lot of contributing factors if they're in AEW they probably can't come back for for a while so it, it's hard to say but you know going back to when those guys were cut um not Adam Cole, but like Aleister Black being cut and stuff that that wasn't just a creative decision. That was like the company cutting back on the number of wrestlers it employed as like business decisions. So it's hard to say who would have or would not have been cut. Obviously if Triple H was around and had a bigger say in who that was, it, it would be, uh, it could be something, but we said it then, we say it now they let an incredible amount of really talented people walk out the door and it was unfortunate. And I think the company was hurt by it. So. Not what you can do now.
0: Uh, Right. Nothing you can do now except move forward. And, uh, you know, one other thing I I do want to say really quick before we get out of here is I got a lot of messages, Um, DMs, tweets from listeners, from actually one celebrity uh, and a couple wrestlers even as well, because I talked about being excited for Raw and that led to a lot of reaction from you guys. I think I don't know what the rating is. We're not going to know by the time we finish taping the show, but Raw on Monday I think there were a lot of lapsed fans that tuned in to see what it would be. And my hope is they were as pleased as you and I were because that was a good show. And it wasn't just about that one individual show. It's about what it says for WWE creative going forward. And to wrap up this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, Chris, I am as optimistic as I've been about WWE in a really long time.
1: Me too. And and one show's worth of ratings is not going to tell you everything. Like you said, the crowd wasn't good. The crowd didn't respond to certain wrestlers. It's going to take several months to really get a a true foothold on what is going here. But it feels like it feels like WWE is taking its on-screen product seriously for the first time in a long time. And that makes me excited to watch when it feels like the people in charge care about it as much as I do. And that's why you like wrestling as a fan. That's why AEW is connected with so many people. And it feels like WWE finally has some of that feeling back. And that's really exciting.
0: No doubt about it. Also, no doubt is that this is the conclusion of this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We have done nearly four hours of WWE audio for you over the last four days. We had a two-hour WWE SummerSlam instant analysis podcast you absolutely need to listen to if you have not already and I appreciate of course all of you staying with us through this entire show we will be back on Thursday for our next AEW and NXT episode I'm also reluctantly going to try and watch Ric Flair's last match and if I do if I do it in time I will discuss that on Thursday's show as well as I always say I appreciate all of you listening to the getting over wrestling podcast please though remember that this show so head on over to apple Podcasts and spotify leave a five-star rating on apple definitely leave us a review those are so important let us know how much you love the show we will read all the five-star reviews here live on the air and please do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting over We'll be back with you all on Thursday, but at this point, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.